Hi, everybody. Let's keep it moving with Catherine Patterson's Bridge to Terabithia. This is part eight and it's called Easter. Even though it was nearly Easter, there were still very few nights that it was warm enough to leave Miss Bessie out. And then there was the rain. All March it poured. For the first time in many years, the creek bed held water, not just a trickle either, enough so that when they swung across, it was a little scary looking down at the rushing water below. Jess took Prince Tyrion along inside his jacket, but the puppy was growing so fast he might pop the zipper any time and fall into the water and drown. Ellie and Brenda were already fighting about what they were going to wear to church. Since Mama got mad at the preacher three years back, Easter was the only time in the year that the errands went to church, and it was a big deal. His mother always cried poor, but she put a lot of thought and as much money as she could scrape together into making sure she wouldn't be embarrassed by how her family looked. But the day before, she planned to take them all over to Millsburg Plaza for new clothes. His dad came home from Washington early. He had been laid off. No new clothes this year. A wail went up from Ellie and Brenda like two sirens going to a fire. You can't make me go to church, Brenda said. I ain't got nothing to wear, and you know it. Just because you're too fat, Maybelle muttered. Did you hear what she said, Mama? I'm going to kill that kid. Brenda, will you shut your mouth? His mother said sharply, then more wearily. We got a lot more than Easter clothes to worry about. His dad got up noisily and poured himself a cup of black coffee from the pot on the back of the stove. Why can't we charge some things? Ellie said in her wheedling voice. Brenda burst in. Do you know what some people do? They charge something and wear it, and then they take it back and say it didn't fit or something. The stores don't give them no trouble. Her father turned in a kind of roar. I never heard such a fool thing in my life. Didn't you hear your mother tell you to shut your mouth, girl? Brenda stopped talking, but she popped her gum as loudly as she could just to prove she wasn't going to be put down. Jess was glad to escape to the shed and the complacent company of Miss Bessie. There was a knock. Jess! Leslie, come on in! She looked first and then sat on the floor next to his stool. What's new? Lord, don't ask. He tugged the teats rhythmically and listened to the plink, 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 in the bottom of the pail. That bad, huh? My dad's got laid off, and Brenda and Ellie are fit to fry because they can't have new clothes for Easter. Gee, I'm sorry. About your dad, I mean. Jess grinned. Yeah, I ain't too worried about the girls. If I know them, they'll trick new clothes out of somebody. It would make you throw up to see how these girls make a spectacle of themselves in church. I never knew you went to church. Just Easter. He concentrated on the warm udders. I guess you think that's dumb or something. She didn't answer for a minute. I was thinking I'd like to go. He stopped milking. I don't understand you sometimes, Leslie. Well, I've never been to a church before. It would be a new experience for me. He went back to work. You'd hate it. Why? It's boring. Well, I just like to see for myself. Do you think your parents would let me go with you? You can't wear pants. I've got some dresses, just errands. But wonders never cease. Here, he said, open your mouth. Why? Just open your mouth. For once, she obeyed. He sent a stream of warm milk straight into it. Just errands? 
The name was garbled, and the milk dribbled down her chin as she spoke. Don't open your mouth now. You're wasting good milk. Leslie started to giggle, choking and coughing. Now, if I could just learn to pitch a baseball that's straight. Let me try again. Leslie controlled her giggle, closed her eyes, and solemnly opened her mouth. But now Jess was giggling so that he couldn't keep his hand steady. You dunce, you got me right in the ear. Leslie hunched up her shoulders and rubbed her ear with the sleeve of her sweatshirt. She collapsed into giggles again. I'd be obliged if you finished milking and come on back to the house. His dad was standing right there at the door. I guess I'd better go, said Leslie quietly. She got up and went to the door. Excuse me. His dad moved aside to let her pass. Just waited for him to say something more, but he just stood there for a few minutes and then turned and went out. Ellie said she would go to church if Mama would let her wear the see-through blouse, and Brenda would go if she at least got a new skirt. In the end, everyone got something new except Jess and his dad, neither of whom cared, but Jess got the idea it might give him a little bargaining power with his mother. Since I ain't getting anything new, could Leslie go to church with us? That girl? He could see his mother rooting around in her head for a good reason to say no. She doesn't dress right. Mama, his voice sounded as prissy as Ellie's. Leslie's got dresses. She's got hundreds of them. His mother's thin face drooped. She bit the outside of her bottom lip in a way that Joyce Ann sometimes did and spoke so softly Jess could barely hear her. I don't want no one poking up their nose at my family. Just wanted to put his arm around her the way he put it around Maybelle when she was in need of comfort. She don't poke her nose up at you, Mama. Honest, his mother sighed. Well, if she'll look decent. Leslie looked decent. Her hair was kind of slicked down and she wore a navy blue jumper over a blouse with tiny old-fashioned looking flowers. At the bottom of her red knee socks were a pair of shiny brown leather shoes that Jess had never seen before, as Leslie always wore sneakers like the rest of the kids in Lark Creek. Even her manner was decent. Her usual sparkle was toned way down, and she said, Yes'm, and no'm, to his mother, just as though she were aware of Mrs. Aaron's dread of disrespect. Jess knew how hard Leslie must be trying, for Leslie didn't say ma'am naturally. In comparison to Leslie, Brenda and Ellie looked like a, a pair of peacocks with fake tail feathers. They both insisted on riding in the front of the pickup with their parents, which was some kind of a squeeze with Brenda's shape to consider. Jess and Leslie and the little girls climbed happily into the back and sat down on the old sacks his dad had put against the cab. The sun wasn't exactly shining, but it was the first day in so long that the rain wasn't actually coming down that they sang, Oh Lord, what a morning! Ah, lovely meadows, and sing, sing a song that Miss Edmonds had taught them, and even jingle bells for Joyce Ann. For Joyce Ann, the wind had carried their voices away from them. It made the music seem mysterious, which filled Jess with the feeling of power over the hills rolling out from behind the truck. The ride was much too short, especially for Joyce Ann, who began to cry because the arrival interrupted the first verse of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which after Jingle, Bell, Jingle Bells was her favorite song. Jess tickled her to get her giggling again, so that when the four of them clambered down over the tailgate, they were flush-faced and happy once more. 
They were a little late, which didn't bother Ellie and Brenda for it meant that they got to flounce down the entire length of the aisle to the first pew, making sure that every eye in the church was on them and every expression of every eye a jealous one. Lord, they were disgusting, and his mother had been scared Leslie might embarrass her. Jess hunched his shoulders and slunk into the pew after the string of women folks and just before his dad. Church always seemed the same. Jess could tune it out the same way he tuned out school, with his body standing up and sitting down in unison with the rest of the congregation, but his mind numb and floating, not really thinking or dreaming, but at least free. Once or twice he was aware of being on his feet with the loud, not really tuneful singing all around him. At the edge of his consciousness, he could hear Leslie singing along and drowsily wondered why she bothered. The preacher had one of those tricky voices. It would buzz along for several minutes quite comfortably. Then bang, he was screaming at you. Each time Jess would jump and it would take another couple of minutes to relax again. But he wasn't listening to the words. The man's red face was, with sweat pouring down seemed strangely out of place in the dull sanctuary. It was like Brenda throwing a tantrum over Joyce Ann touching her lipstick. It took a while to get Ellie and Brenda pulled away from the front yard of the church. Jess and Leslie went ahead and put the little girls in the back and settled down to wait. Gee, I'm really glad I came. Jess turned to Leslie in unbelief. It was better than a movie. You're kidding. No, I'm not. And she wasn't. He could tell by her face. That whole Jesus thing is really interesting, isn't it? What do you mean? All those people wanting to kill him when he hadn't done anything to hurt them. She hesitated. It's really kind of a beautiful story, like Abraham Lincoln or Socrates or Aslan. It ain't beautiful, Maybell broke in. It's scary. Nailing hose right through somebody's hand? Maybell's right. Just reach down into the deepest pit of his mind. It's because we're all vile sinners God made Jesus die. Do you think that's true? He was shocked. It's in the Bible, Leslie. She looked at him as if she were going to argue, then seemed to change her mind. It's crazy, isn't it? She shook her head. You have to believe it, but you hate it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. She shook her head again. It's crazy. Maybell had her eyes all squinched as though Leslie was some strange creature in a zoo. You gotta believe the Bible, Leslie. Why? It was a genuine question. Leslie wasn't being smarty. Because if you don't believe the Bible, Maybell's eyes were huge. God'll damn you to hell when you die. Where'd she ever hear a thing like that? Leslie turned on Jess as though she were about to accuse him of some wrong he had committed against his sister. He felt hot and caught by her voice and words. He dropped his gaze to the gunny sack and began to fiddle with the raveled edge. That's right, ain't it, Jess? Maybelle's shrill voice demanded. Don't goddamn you to hell if you don't believe the Bible. Jess pushed his hair out of his face. I reckon, he muttered. I don't believe it, Leslie said. I don't even think you read the Bible. I read most of it, Jess said, still fingering the sack. It's about the only book we've got around our place. He looked up at Leslie and half grinned. She smiled. Okay, she said, but I still don't think God goes around damning people to hell. They smiled at each other, trying to ignore Maybelle's anxious little voice. But Leslie, she insisted, what if you die? What's going to happen to you if you die? Part nine, the evil spell. 
On Easter Monday, the rain began again in earnest. It was as though the elements were conspiring to ruin their short week of freedom. Jess and Leslie sat cross-legged on the porch at the Burkses, watching the wheels of a passing truck shoot huge braids of muddy water to its rear. That ain't no 55 miles per hour, Jess muttered. Just then, something came out of the window of the cab. Leslie jumped to her feet. Litterbug, she screamed after the already disappearing taillights. Jess stood up too. What do you want to do? What I want to do is go to Terabithia, she said, looking out mournfully at the pouring rain. Heck, let's go, he said. Okay, she said, suddenly brightening. Why not? She got her boots and raincoat and considered the umbrella. Do you think we could swing across holding the umbrella? He shook his head. Nah, we better stop by your house and get those boots and things. He shrugged. I don't have nothing that fits. I'll just go like this. I'll get you an old coat of bills. She started up the stairs. Judy appeared in the hallway. What are you kids doing? It was the same words that Jess's mother might have used, but it didn't come out the same way. Judy's eyes were kind of fuzzed over as she spoke, and her voice sounded as though it were being broadcast from miles away. We didn't mean to bother you, Judy. That's all right. I'm stuck right now. I might as well stop. Have you had any lunch? It's all right, Judy. We can get something ourselves. Judy's eyes focused slightly. You've got your boots on. Leslie looked down at her feet. Oh, yeah, she said, as though she were just noticing them herself. We thought we'd go outside for a while. Is it raining again? Yeah. I used to like to walk in the rain. Judy smiled that kind of smile Maybell did in her sleep. Well, if you two can manage, sure. Is Bill back yet? No, he said he wouldn't be back until late, not to worry. Fine, she said. Oh, she said suddenly, and her eyes popped wide open. Oh, she almost ran back to her room, and the plinkety-plink of the typewriter began at once. Leslie was grinning. She came unstuck. He wondered what it would be like to have a mother whose stories were inside her head instead of marching across the television screen all day long. He followed Leslie up the hall to where she was pulling things out of a closet. She handed him a beige raincoat and a peculiar round black woolly hat. No boots. Her voice was coming out of the depths of the closet and was muffled by a line of overcoats. How about a pair of clumps? A pair of what? She stuck her head out between the coats. Cleats, cleats, she produced them. They looked like size 12s. No, I'd lose them in the mud. I'll just go barefoot. Hey, she said, emerging completely. Me too. The ground was cold. The icy mud sent little thrills of pain up their legs, so they ran, splashing through the puddles and slushing the mud. P.T. bounded ahead, leaping fishlight from one brown sea to the next, then turning back then turning back to herd the two of them forward, nipping at their heels and further splashing their already sopping jeans. When they got to the bank of the creek, they stopped. It was an awesome sight, like in the Ten Commandments on TV when the water came rushing into the dry path Moses had made and, and swept all the Egyptians away. The long dry bed of the creek was a roaring eight-foot-wide sea, sweeping before it great branches of trees, logs, and, tra and trash, swirling them about like so many Egyptian chariots, the hungry waters licking and sometimes leaping the banks, daring them to try to confine it. Wow! Leslie's voice was respectful. Yeah, Jess looked up at the rope. It was still twisted around the branch of the crabapple tree. His stomach felt cold. 
Maybe we ought to forget it today. Come on, Jess, we can make it. The hood of Leslie's raincoat had fallen back, and her hair lay plastered to her forehead. She wiped her cheeks and eyes with her hand and then untwisted the rope. She unsnapped the top of her coat with her left hand. Here, she said. Stick P.T. in here for me. I'll carry him, Leslie. With that raincoat, he'll slip right out at the bottom. She was impatient to be gone, so Jess scooped up the sodden dog and shoved him rear first into the cave of Leslie's raincoat. You gotta hold his rear with your left arm and swing with your right, you know. I know, I know. She moved backward to get a running start. Hold tight. Good gosh, Jess. He shut his mouth. He wanted to shut his eyes, too, but he forced himself to watch her run back, race for the bank, leap, swing, and jump off, landing gracefully on her feet on the far side. Catch! He stuck out his hand, but he was watching Leslie and P.T. and not concentrating on the rope, which slipped off the end of his fingertips and swung in a large arc out of his reach. He jumped and grabbed it, and shutting his mind to the sound and sight of the water, he ran back and then speeded forward. The cold stream lapped at his bare heels momentarily, but then he was into the air above it and falling awkwardly and landing on his bottom. P.T. was on him immediately, muddy paws all over the beige raincoat and pink tongue sandpapering Jess's wet face. Leslie's eyes were sparkling. Arise, she said, swallowing a giggle. Arise, King of Terabithia, and let us proceed into our kingdom. The King of Terabithia snuffed and wiped his face on the back of his hand. I will arise, he replied with dignity, when thou removes this fool dog off my gut. They went to Terabithia on Tuesday and then again on Wednesday. The rain continued sporadically so that by Wednesday, the creek had swollen to the trunk of the crab apple, and they were running through ankle-deep water to make their flight into Terabithia. And on the opposite bank, Jess was more careful to land on his feet. Sitting in cold, wet bridges for an hour was no fun, even in a magic kingdom. For Jess, the fear of the crossing rose with the height of the creek. Leslie never seemed to hesitate, so Jess could not hang back. But even though he could force his body to follow after, his mind hung back, wanting to cling to the crabapple tree the way Joyce Ann might cling to Mama's skirt. While they were sitting in the castle on Wednesday, it began suddenly to rain so hard that the water came through the top of the shack in icy streams. Jess tried to huddle away from the worst of them, but there was no escaping the miserable invaders. Dost know what is in my mind, O king? Leslie dumped the, content, the contents of one coffee can on the ground and put the can under the worst leak. What? Methinks some evil being has put a curse on our beloved kingdom. Damn weather bureau. In the dim light, he could see Leslie's face freeze into its almost queenly pose, the kind of expression she usually reserved for vanquished enemies. She didn't want to kid. He instantly repented his unkingly manner. Leslie chose to ignore it. Let us go up into the sacred grove and inquire of the spirits what this evil might be and how we must combat it. For of a truth, I perceive that there is no ordinary rain that is falling upon our kingdom. Right, queen, Jess mumbled and crawled out of the low entrance of the castle stronghold. Under the pines, even the rain lost its driving power. Without the filtered light of the sun, it was almost dark, and the sound of the rain hitting the pine branches high above their heads filled the grove with a weird, tuneless music. 
Dread lay on Jess's stomach like a hunk of cold, undigested donut. Leslie lifted her arms and face up toward the dark green canopy. Oh, spirits of the grove, she began suddenly. We are come on behalf of our beloved kingdom, which lies in now under the spell of some evil unknown force. Give us, we beseech thee, wisdom to discern this evil and power to overcome it. She nudged Jess with her elbow. He raised his arm. Um, um, he felt the point of her sharp elbow again. Um, yes, please listen, thou spirits. She seemed satisfied. At least she didn't poke him again. She just stood there quietly as if she was listening respectfully to someone talking to her. Jess was shivering, whether from the cold or the place he didn't know. But he was glad when he turned to leave the grove. All he could think of was dry clothes and a cup of hot coffee and maybe plunking down in front of the TV for a couple of hours. He was obviously not worthy to be king of Terabithia. Whoever heard of a king who was scared of tall trees and a little bit of water? He swung across the creek, almost too disgusted with himself to be afraid. Halfway across, he looked down and stuck his toe out in the roaring, in the roaring, at the roaring below. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Tra-la-la-la-la, he said to himself, then quickly looked up again toward the crabapple tree. Plodding up the hill through the mud and beaten down grasses, he slammed his bare feet down hard. Left, left, he addressed them inside his head. Left my wife and 49 children without any gingerbread. Think I did right? Right, right by my... Why don't we change our clothes and watch TV or something over at your house? He felt like hugging her. I'll make us some coffee, he said joyfully. Yuck, she said, smiling and began to run for the old Perkins place, that beautiful, graceful run of hers that neither mud nor water could defeat. It had seemed to Jess when he went to bed Wednesday night that he could relax, that everything was going to be all right, but he awoke in the middle of the night with the horrible realization that it was still raining. He would just have to tell Leslie that he wouldn't go to Terabithia, after all, she had told him when she was working on the house with Bill, and he hadn't questioned her. It wasn't so much that he minded telling Leslie that he was afraid to go. It was that he minded being afraid. It was as though he had been made with a great piece missing. One of Maybelle's puzzles with this huge gap where somebody's eye and cheek and jaw should have been. Lord, it would be better to be born without an arm than to go through life with no guts. He hardly slept the rest of the night, listening to the horrid rain and knowing that no matter how high the creek came, Leslie would still want to cross it. Part 10. The Perfect Day He heard his dad start to pick up. Even though there was no job to go to, he left every morning early to look. Sometimes he just hung around all day at the unemployment office. On lucky days, he got picked up to unload furniture or do cleaning. Jess was awake. He might as well get up. He could milk and feed Miss Bessie and get that over with. He pulled on a t-shirt and overalls over the underwear he slept in. Where are you going? Go back to sleep, Maybelle. I can't. The rain makes too much noise. Well, get up then. Why are you so mean to me? Will you shut up, Maybelle? You'll have everyone in the whole house woke up with that big mouth of yours. Joyce Ann would have screamed, but Maybelle made a face. Oh, come on, he said. I'm just going to milk Miss Bessie. Then maybe we can watch cartoons if we keep the sound real low. Maybelle was as scrawny as Brenda was fat. She stood a moment in the middle of the floor in her underwear, her skin white and goosebumpy. 
Her eyes were still drooped from sleep, and her pale brown hair stuck up all over her head like a squirrel's nest on a winter branch. That's got to be the world's ugliest kid, he thought, looking her over with genuine affection. She threw her jeans into his face. I'm going to tell Mama. He threw the jeans back at her. Tell Mama what? How you just stand there staring at me when I ain't got my clothes on? Lord, she thought he was enjoying it. Yeah, well, he said, heading for the door so she wouldn't throw anything else at him. Pretty girl like you can't hardly help myself. He could hear her giggling as he crossed the kitchen. The shed was filled with Miss Bessie's familiar smell. He clucked her gently over and set his stool at her flank and the pail beneath her speckled udder. The rain pounded the metal roof of the shed so that the plink of milk in the pail set up a counter rhythm. If only it would stop raining. He pressed his forehead against Miss Bessie's warm hide. He wondered idly if cows were ever scared, really scared. He had seen Miss Bessie jitter away from P.T., but that was different. A yapping puppy at your heels is an immediate threat, but the difference between him and Miss Bessie was that there was no P.T. in sight, and she was perfectly content, sleepily chewing her cud. She wasn't staring down at the old Perkins place, wondering and worrying. She wasn't standing there on her tippy toes while anxiety ate holes through all her stomachs. He stroked his forehead across her flank and sighed. If there was still water in the creek come summer, he'd ask Leslie to teach him how to swim. How's that? He said to himself, I'll just grab that old terror by the shoulders and shake the daylights out of it. Maybe I'll even learn scuba diving. He shuddered. He may not have been born with guts, but he didn't have to die without them. Hey, maybe you could go down to the medical college and get a gut transplant. No, Doc, I got me a perfectly good heart. What I need is a gut transplant. How about it? He smiled. He'd have to tell Leslie about wanting a gut transplant. It was the kind of nonsense she appreciated. Of course, he broke the rhythm of the milking long enough to shove his hair out of his face. Of course, what I really need is a brain transplant. I know Leslie. I know she's got to bite my head off to make fun of me if I don't say I want to go across again until the creek's down. All I got to do is say, Leslie, I don't want to go over there today. Just like that. Easy as pie. Leslie, I don't want to go over there today. How come? How come? Because, because, well, because. I called you three times already. Maybelle was imitating Ellie's prissiest manner. Called me for what? Some lady wants you on the telephone. I had to get dressed to come get you. He never got phone calls. Leslie had called him exactly once, and Brenda had gone into such a song and dance with her about Jess's getting a call from his sweetheart that Leslie had decided it was simpler to come to the house and get him when she wanted to talk. Sounds kind of like Miss Edmonds. It was Miss Edmonds. Jess, her voice flowed through the receiver. Miserable weather, isn't it? Yes, am He was scared to say more for fear she'd hear the shake. I was thinking of driving down to Washington. Maybe go to the Smithsonian or the National Gallery. How would you like to keep me company? He broke out in a cold sweat. Jess? He licked his lips and shoved his hair off his face. You still there, Jess? Yes, am He tried to get a deep breath so he could keep talking. Would you like to go with me? Lord. Yes, am do you need to get permission? She asked gently. Yes, yes, um. He had somehow managed to twist himself up in the phone cord. Yes, um, just, just a minute. He untangled himself, 
put the phone down quietly and tiptoed into his parents' room. His mother's back made a long hump under the cotton blanket. He shook her shoulder very gently. Mama! She was, he was almost whispering. He wanted to ask her without really waking her up. She was likely to say no if she woke up and thought about it. He jumped at the sound but relaxed again, not fully awake. Teacher wants me to go to Washington to the Smithsonian. Washington? The syllables were, blur were blurred. Yeah, something for school. He stroked her upper arm. Be back before too late, okay? Mm, don't worry, I done milking. Um, she pulled the blanket to her ears and turned on her stomach. Jess crept back to the phone. It's okay, Miss Edmonds. I can go. Great. I'll pick you up in 20 minutes. Just tell me how to get to your house. As soon as he saw her car turn in, Jess raced out of the kitchen door through the rain and met her halfway up the drive. His mother could find out the details from Maybelle after he was safely up the road. He was glad Maybelle was absorbed in the TV. He didn't want her walking up to Mama before he got away. He was scared to look back even after he was in the car on the main road for fear he'd see his mother screaming after him. It didn't occur to him until the car was past Millsburg that he might have asked Miss Edmonds if Leslie could have come too. When he thought about it, he couldn't suppress a secret pleasure at being alone in the small cozy car with Miss Edmonds. She drove intently, both hands gripping the top of the wheel, peering forward. The wheels hummed and the windshield wipers slicked a merry rhythm. The car was warm and filled with the smell of Miss Edmonds. Jess sat with his hands clasped between his knees, the seatbelt tight across his chest. Damn rain, she said. I was going stir crazy. Yes'm, he said happily. You too, huh? She gave him a quick smile. He felt dizzy from the closeness. He nodded. Have you ever been to the National Gallery? No, ma'am. He had never even been to Washington before, but he hoped she wouldn't ask him that. She smiled at him again. Is this your first trip to an art gallery? Yes'm. Great, she said. My life has been worthwhile after all. He didn't understand her, but he didn't care. He knew she was happy to be with him, and that was enough to know. Even in the rain, he could make out the landmarks looking surprisingly the way the books had pictured them. The Lee Mansion high on the hill, the bridge, and twice around the circle so he could get a good look at Abraham Lincoln looking out across the city, the White House, and the monument at the other end of the Capitol. Leslie had seen all these places a million times. She had even gone to school with the girl whose father was a congressman. He thought he might tell Miss Edmonds later that Leslie was the personal friend of a real congressman. Miss Edmonds always liked Leslie. Entering the gallery was like stepping inside the pine grove, the huge vaulted marble, the cool splash of the fountain, and the green growing all around. Two little children had pulled away from their mothers and were running about screaming to each other. It was all Jess could do not to grab them and tell them how to behave in so obviously a sacred place. And then the pictures, room after room, floor after floor. He was drunk with color and form and hugeness and with the voice and perfume of Miss Edmonds always beside him. She would bend her head down close to his face to give some explanation or ask him a question, her black hair falling across her shoulders. Men would stare at her instead of the pictures and just felt they must be jealous of him for being with her. They ate lunch in the cafeteria. When she mentioned lunch, he realized with horror that he would need money and he didn't know how to tell her that he hadn't brought any, didn't have any to bring for that matter. But before he had time to figure anything out, she said, now, 
I'm not going to have any argument about who's paying. I'm a liberated woman, Jess Aarons. When I invite a man out, I pay. He tried to think of some way to protest without ending up with the bill, but couldn't and found himself getting a $3 meal, which was far more than he had meant to have her spend on him.